Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. We've got some doubleheader action. Game one, it's the Cleveland Guardians three, the Minnesota Twins two. Game two, it's the Minnesota Twins six, the Cleveland Guardians nothing. Unfortunately, we end up splitting the doubleheader. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And I honestly... Honestly, neither of these games were that enjoyable. Uh, they were, I mean, the first one was a slug to get through. I guess if you really like watching uh, some pitchers that are not known as strikeout pitchers carve up some uh, hitters on the day, then you liked game one because uh, Smelter and Plesak both were dealing with the strikeouts. Nine strikeouts for Smelter, seven strikeouts for Plesak. And then game two... Where were the Guardians? Where, where were they? Were they were they still taking naps in the clubhouse? Like six nothing, they barely put up a fight. Five hits uh, with Pilkington in there. He gets battered around. They end up giving up thirteen hits to the Twins. Six runs scored. Game two was just a disaster. Just there was nothing to get exciting about as a Guardians fan for game two. So we'll get to it, but let's, hey, let's go in order. Let's go in game one. Let's get into the storylines of this game. And frankly, I mean, yes, the starting pitching uh, was probably this. The, the starting pitching probably had a huge impact in this game. But the storyline I want to go with is the eighth inning. I want to go with the eighth inning because that's where the whole game rested. I'm Everything swings in that eighth inning. Uh, I wonder what the win probability line looks like. Yeah. It looks like this nice gradual line towards Cleveland until that seventh and eighth inning, and then it is all over the place. Woof. The Twins end up taking the lead in the top of the eighth inning. That's right. Sam Henches comes in. Uh, I believe, was it, his, was it like the first pitch he threw? Yeah, the leadoff batter, Correa, in the eighth inning, 102.7 mile-per-hour exit velocity, 29-degree launch angle, 373. I believe it hit off the railing at the top of the wall uh, for a go-ahead home run in the top of the eighth inning. I just, man, Henches comes in there and immediately, immediately, second pitch, gets a curveball called strike at the top of the zone that wasn't a strike, then throws him a high fastball, and uh, man, Correa was ready to go up there. I mean, this thing is at the shoulders. Correa really goes, this is not a bad pitch from Sam Henches. This is not. This is above the strike zone. And Correa goes up there and tags this one 102.7 miles per hour. So, yeah, they go ahead and they take the lead. And you're thinking, man, all that work from Plesak. The lack of run support. They talked about it. It's insane the lack of run support that uh, Plesak has been getting uh, this season and especially lately. So we don't give them any run support. You know, they come in, they hit a solo home run in the eighth inning, and suddenly they're up two to one. And you're thinking, is that it? Is that it? Well, Miles Straw comes in, and Miles Straw works a walk. That's huge. You don't know how huge it is. They go with Emilio Pagan. And Pagan has struggled against Cleveland. He throws them all forcing fa- one cutter, mixes in one cutter that he missed with. The rest are all forcing fastballs to straw. Daquan, it's both are eight pitch at bats. So both guys really working, fouling off some pitches. 
Quan fouls off a bunch of pitches. He gets mostly forcing fastballs. A few splitters mixed in there. But he gets mostly forcing fastballs. And Pagan ends up walking him. Now, Pagan is not been very good against Cleveland. I looked this up. Uh, Pagan against Cleveland. And actually, I wonder if this stuff has been updated. Because baseball reference is usually pretty slow to update their stuff. Uh, and I was looking at this stuff in-game yesterday. But... Pagan has really struggled against Cleveland so far on the season. He's got a 1260 ERA against Cleveland in six games, in six appearances. He's got a 2.0 whip against the Cleveland Guardians this season. Meanwhile, Fieldbar has been fantastic against Cleveland. He's got a zero ERA in five appearances. He's got a 0.5 whip. Uh, against the Cleveland Guardians. Fieldbar has been one of their best relievers against us all season, but they go with Pagan in this situation, and he just has a terrible, terrible game. So he walks those first two guys, then throws a wild pitch that moves them over to third, second, and third. So, I mean, it was a question of, is Ahmed Rosario going to lay down a bunt? I don't know. Eh, what's he going to do? Well, on the third pitch, I believe is the third pitch, was the wild pitch that gets away and uh, moves the runners over. Uh, four-seam fastball. He's now He's been pounding them on the outside edge this whole time. Throws him a four-seam fastball that he gets for a called strike. Throws him another four-seam fastball right there in the exact same spot that he fouls off. That's the one that Amin Rosario was pissed. He was mad at himself. You could tell he was mad at himself for fouling this ball off. Because that was a very hittable pitch. Right at the belt, on the outer edge, he really could have extended the arms and driven this one. Instead, he fouls it off. Then throws him a cutter again that he, frankly, he misses away. He could have taken this for ball four. Uh, It's a full count at this point. Instead, he swings at it. But here's the thing. This would have been a ground out to Correa. But they pulled the infield in. Now, here's the decision. Here's the decision that Rocco Baldelli had to make. He's up one. The Guardians offense has really shown no signs of life. No ability to rally. They get guys on. They can't get them over. They can't get them in. They've been doing this for a week now. And he brings the infield in to try to cut off that run. He's going for the win. And instead, he ends up with a loss. He figures if he can cut that run off at the plate, right? They can't tie the game up. Maybe I can get him. Instead, instead of playing back, playing for the out, even if they get that run to third, they still have to put in the work. Rosar- I mean, uh, Ramirez after him has been popping everything up. So you take your chances with that? No, he takes his chances with Ahmed Rosario. And Ahmed Rosario gets one through the infield. It's 85.3 mile power exit velocity. It only had a 360 expected batting average. I don't think that's even taking into account where the defenders were on the infield. But it gets through up the middle in the center field and both runs come in to score. That's the difference. If Baldelli plays the defense back, then only one run is coming in to score. It's a tie game with a runner on third now. Ahmed Rosario is probably out at first. It's a tie game with a runner on third. And uh, yeah, he's still in it. Baldelli's still in it. Instead, he lets that go-ahead run come across in the eighth inning. Now, the Guardians waste a great opportunity here because they still have uh, Ahmed Rosario on with nobody out, 
And uh, he gets Jose Ramirez to strike out, which Ramirez was really pissed about. Gets Ramil Reyes uh, to strike out and throws Ahmed Rosario out trying to steal. So, I mean, talk about just an inning. This is what the Guardians have done all season. like they, or Not all season, all week. They get a guy on and then just implode on themselves. They either hit into a double play or they get thrown out stealing and have two strikeouts. Like, they just cannot seem to actually get an inning going. I looked this up yesterday. I was all over Twitter with stats yesterday. If you weren't following me yesterday, and judging by the responses, you weren't, um, I was all over the stats yesterday. The Guardians, uh, over the last seven days, going into the uh, going into the day, were tied for the lead in baseball with the Cubs, Angels, and Nationals for the most ground-in double plays over the seven-day stretch with seven. Now, after the games yesterday, uh, they've actually slipped. Uh, there's two teams that have eight. There's a bunch of teams that have seven now. A lot of teams have been hitting into double plays over the last seven days. Uh, but yeah, the Guardians' innings just keep imploding. So they get their two runs here in the eighth, but it should have been so much more. They were set up for so much more in that inning. And it was like that all day, uh, where as soon as an inning started, it came crashing down just as fast. Uh, you'll see that with some of the doubles in game two. But that does bring in Emmanuel Classe to pitch the ninth inning. And they tried to make it as hard as they possibly could on Emmanuel Classe, but he would not give in. He was he was really dealing in this ninth inning. He strikes out Nick Gordon, but we newly acquired backup catcher Sandy Leone, who, look, uh, Lavastida down in AAA uh, was hurt, and uh, they're not ready to call up Naylor yet. He just made it to AAA. There's another guy, Fry, who's like an emergency catcher who caught one game in AAA. They really didn't have anybody in AAA ready to come up. Hedges has gone on the IL with a concussion, so they needed to go find a body. It's just a body. Believe me, the plan is not Sandy Leone to be the catcher of the future in Cleveland. It's a literally a warm body until Hedges can come back from the concussion. That's it. And, I mean, if it takes them a longer time to come back from the concussion, they'll come up with a plan B. But the plan is Hedges will be on the IL for a few days, deal with a concussion. Leon could be here for a week as the backup catcher. He probably won't play that often. But he screws up here in the ninth inning because he drops strike three to Nick Gordon. He throws him a beautiful slider in the dirt, and he can't hang on to it. So Gordon's safe at first. But then he does, I mean, every he does what he does. He gets ground balls, and he gets Giovanni Urshela, who, you know, ex-Cleveland franchise players have been really dealing against us lately. Urshela grounds into a double play here. Then Celestino grounds one to first that should end the game, but Owen Miller boots it. So what does he do? He goes and he just strikes out Luisa Rise. I believe blows him away on a high fastball. I believe... Yeah, it's uh, it's a high cutter to uh, Luisa Rise to finish him off right at the top of the strike zone. It's a beautiful pitch. Uh, Class A was absolutely dealing in this game. Uh, so yeah, so the other storyline is these starting pitchers, frankly. Um, both of them, Smelter, they were dealing. Uh, we get a gift run in the first inning with Ahmed Rosario singling. Notice Quan doesn't get a hit to lead off the game, and now Ahmed Rosario comes through with a single. He had been grounding in a double plays in the first inning like crazy. Now that the leadoff hitter wasn't on in front of him, now the ball gets through the infield. Uh, and then after a Jose Ramirez pop out, which he won't stop doing, 
Another thing I looked up in-game, uh, Jose Ramirez uh, has an infield fly ball rate. Now, it was harder to look at. Uh, StatCast does have pop-ups, but I couldn't really. Uh, StatCast won't let me search some of their stats, some of the uh, StatCast stats uh, in a time frame. So uh, I had to go over to Fangraphs here, and they have infield fly ball rate. So he has a career infield fly, rate, fly ball rate of 11.7%. This season, he was at 12.6%, so pretty much in line with his career average. Over the last two weeks, he's had an infield fly ball rate of 26.7. It's a significant jump. He's been popping the ball up like crazy. So with a runner on, he pops out, and then it brings up Fermio Reyes, who should have popped out, but because of the shift for the right-handed hitter, the second baseman was so far away, he ends up hitting it into no man's land behind first base, Normally, the second baseman would be the one that would run this down, frankly. Normally, they cut behind first base. For first baseman drifting straight back, that's a difficult play. The second baseman is coming in on an angle, can take a much better route to the ball, and usually gets that. The right fielder sometimes will charge in and get that. But the right fielder on the day, and in this game, who was it in game one? Was it Kirilov? Um, Max Kepler out there in right field. He... uh, he just gives up on the ball. It's re- it, it, I don't know if he lost it in the sun. I mean, Ramirez loses one in the sun later in this game. It didn't look like he lost it in the sun. He wasn't shielding his eyes. It was more like he was looking at Kirilov at first base going, aren't you going to catch this ball? And it just falls between them for an RBI double in the first inning. So we're gifted a run in that first inning. And then the storyline in the game is the starting pitchers just shut us down. Both go six innings pitched. Smelter gives up four hits. That one, technically an earned run, but kind of ridiculous. He should have been out of that inning. No walks, nine strikeouts on 95 pitches. He's hard hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. Plesak on the other side, again, six innings. Three hits. Only three hits allowed by Plesak. No runs. He does give up three walks, but he gets seven strikeouts on 95 pitches. He's hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. So both pitchers really dealing with the strikeout pitches. Going over to their breakdown, Smeltzer was throwing a ton of changeups, and we could not handle it. We put on 26 changeups, which was the most he threw. He threw 25 fastballs, 22 sliders, 21 curveballs, so really mixing it up. The slider and the changeup, we were only able to put one in play for each of those pitches and not hit hard. 71 mile per hour exit velocity off that changeup, 87.6 off that slider. We were not able to put his changeup and a slider in play. We just weren't able to do it. It's not a huge whiff rate. It's a 28% whiff rate, which is decent. It's a 34% CSW total on the day for Smeltzer. Um, yeah, got a ton of called strikes on the curveball, which is strange to see. Usually that's a whiff pitch. He got a ton of called strikes on it. Moving down over to look at Plesak and what he did on the day, the slider was very effective for him. Both the slider and the curveball were very effective for him on the day. 55% whiff rate on the slider, which he threw 32 times, almost as much as the fastball. The curveball, he only threw 11 times, but he had three whiffs on five swings. It's a 60% whiff rate. It's a 35% whiff rate on the day for Zach Plesak. That's very good. That's great stuff. Add in 15 called strikes. It's a 34% CSW total on the day. 
So yeah, Plesak was absolutely dealing. All right, now what pitches did they get their strikeouts on? That is always fun to see. Uh, for Smeltzer, a lot of it was on the changeups. Four strikeouts on the changeup. He got Oscar Gonzalez out there twice uh, chasing that changeup. He got Fermil Reyes out there chasing that changeup. Um, he dropped a couple of curveballs on Fermil Reyes and on Stephen Kwan. He got Kwan to strike out on a curveball. Uh, and then uh, two fastballs and a slider. So really using a lot of his pitches. He got struck twice at the top of the zone. Once swinging through a fastball in the third inning. And then in the fifth inning, swinging through a slider in almost the exact same location. So challenging Miles Straw, not even making Straw go out of the zone. Both were on counts in his favor and Smelter's favor, a 2-2 count and a 1-2 count, and getting Straw to chase outside of the zone. What was Plesak doing? It was all off-speed stuff. And frankly, it was sliders in the zone. He was attacking in the zone up near the letters with that slider. Uh, really aggressive sliders here. Uh, throw a couple of balls in the dirt that he got guys to chase, and then one change up to Kirilov that he drops onto the arm side of the plate for him. Uh, so yeah, the off-speed stuff is what he was using. Uh, that's five strikeouts on the slider on the day. That's pretty impressive stuff from both uh, Smelter and from, uh, from Plesak. And uh, it wasn't like Smelter was dominating ahead in the count all day. Frankly, guys were working the count against him. He had a bunch of guys go 2-0. He even had someone get to 3-0 and 3-1. It wasn't like he was working way ahead. Um, It looks like Plesak was doing a little bit better of working ahead. Yeah, he had way more guys start out 0-1 than 1-0. Only two guys get to 2-0, and one guy gets to 3-0. So Plesak was doing a little bit better working ahead. Smelter, it seemed like he was a little bit more even between 0-1 and 1-0. But both of them eventually working their way to the strikeout. So I think that was pretty much the storylines of game one. Uh, It was a grind. It was a real grind in the middle of that game. Just nothing was happening. Nothing was happening. But eventually, I mean, it's six hits to five hits. The Guardians only managed 10 hits across the doubleheader. So that's everything from game one. For game two, you had two rookie pitchers going up against each other. Rookie pitchers that have had some experience, you know, this season. Winders had had a few appearances. Pilkington's had a few appearances. And frankly, the Guardians weren't striking out. They just didn't. They just didn't have anything offensively. They just, they weren't hitting the ball particularly hard. They weren't making good contact. They weren't having good bat bip luck, you know, batting average balls in play. They just had no fight left in them in that second game. They just came out incredibly flat. Nothing. They get shut out by Winder, Tyler Duffy, and Giovanni Moran. And their pitching just... Pilkington puts up an okay fight, but he gets hit around pretty hard. Four and a third innings pitch. Gives up eight hits, four earned runs, three walks, four strikeouts, a home run allowed on 92 pitches. 92 pitches to get through four and a third. That is a guy who is laboring. That's what we talk about when you talk about a starting pitcher laboring through a start. Pilkington, 92 pitches to get only that deep in the game. It was pretty rough, and the Twins' offense has been one of the best in baseball uh, recently. I mean, over the last week, 
I was looking at some of the team stats. They lead Major League Baseball in runs scored over the last week. By the way, batting average over the last week, the uh, Boston Red Sox, who we just faced, are leading the are leading baseball in batting average over the last week. So we've caught two teams that are very, very hot offensively right now. Minnesota is seventh in baseball in a uh, team batting average. Cleveland falls in at 22nd in all of baseball. In OPS, right, on-base plus slugging percentage, OPS, the Red Sox are number one over the last week in baseball. The Twins are fourth in the league in all of baseball, both over 800. The Guardians are 28th in baseball at 635. Yeah, the Guardians' offense is ice cold over the last week, and we're facing two teams that are red hot. And the Twins proved it in game two. They put up three runs in the third inning on Pilkington, uh, including a two-run home run, and they just would not look back from that point. And we, you know what? we did? What's strange about this game is we actually got some extra base hits. We got some doubles, but we couldn't do anything with it. Oscar Gonzalez has two doubles in this game, uh, and then uh, Jose Ramirez joins him. He hits a double, which actually moves him tied for 10th place with Albert Bell for the most extra base hits in franchise history. In franchise history. Now, he's got a long way to go to catch Earl Averill in the top spot with 724 extra base hits over his Cleveland career. Jose Ramirez ties Albert Bell 481. He's coming up this season. He will pass Manny Ramirez, who has 484. Uh, within a day or two, he could pass Manny Ramirez for the ninth spot. Uh, he will probably pass Lou Boudreaux at 495. Uh, you know, 14 more, and he's got Lou Boudreaux. And these are just extra base hits. And he could pass Carlos Santana at 503. So by the end of this season, he could be seventh all time in the Cleveland. And this is just going to keep happening. We're just going to keep talking about this because he's going to climb all of these top 10 lists eventually. So yeah, it just it was interesting. They threw up the stat yesterday. He was able to tie Albert Bell 10th all-time in extra base hits with his double, but they can't bring him in every time the Guardians got a hit. Some of these were to lead off innings. Uh, the first double from Oscar Gonzalez was to kick off the second inning, and he gets nothing behind him, a fly out, a ground out, and a pop out. Then in the, uh, I love the swing in the fourth inning. It was a two-out double, but you want to talk about a beautiful swing to right field. He smokes this ball 99.9 miles per hour, 23-degree launch angle, uh, had a 6'10 expected batting average, just a beautiful line drive shot in the right field, off the wall in right field. Man, if we can get that Oscar Gonzalez, and he was doing it on the outside of the plate. Um, both of these doubles that are given up by uh, by Winder are on the outside of the plate from Oscar Gonzalez. Uh, one is a four-seam fastball. The one in the second inning is a four-seam fastball that he actually shoots down the line. And then the other one was a slider. On a 1-0 count, he takes a slider. Now, both of these pitches are in the strike zone. Guys have definitely been getting Oscar Gonzalez to expand the strike zone, right? He strikes out twice out there. But those are pitches down and away. These are pitches that are up and away. And there's a big difference between down and away and up and away. Up and away, you're going to pay. Down and away, yeah, you're probably going to get him to chase. And then Jose Ramirez uh, pulls an inside changeup in the sixth inning. 
on a one-two count and uh, drives it into left field for his double. So they end up having more doubles than singles on the day. They only had two singles on the day, on that second game. They had three doubles in that second game, only two singles. But nothing, nothing comes together. Nothing in the same inning. No rallies at all. Um, Mainly singled in the seventh with two outs. Uh, There was a little bit of a rally in the sixth inning because Andres Jimenez is hit by a pitch again. They hit him twice in this day. They, I don't know. I, they both look like accidents. I don't think they're intentionally going after Andres Jimenez. There's not really that kind of bad blood between the Twins and the uh, Guardians. But they end up hitting him twice on the day. So the sixth inning was your closest thing to a rally. When Ramirez gets a one-out double, after a nailer flyout, Jimenez is hit. There's two guys on for Gonzalez, who was already doubled twice on the day. Could he keep it going? Nah, he ends up flying out. Uh, flying out to right field. So... I mean, that was really your only chance at a rally. That was the only inning you had multiple base runners on base. Uh, They just, like I said, there's not a lot of strikeouts here. It's not high CSW numbers or anything from Winder. It's a 27% CSW. He had 10 called strikes on his four-seam fastball. That was was about it. We were putting him in play. It's not even like we were struggling uh, to put balls in play. It wasn't like we were having incredibly weak contact either. We averaged 88.6 mile per hour exit velocity off him, which is all right. We just had no bat luck. We had no luck in that second game. Nothing was working in our favor. Nothing was getting through. Everything was right at people. So just a crappy offensive game for the Cleveland Guardians. Now, I did think something's a note in that there's not much a note in this second game. If you're a Twins fan, yeah, there's plenty of note in this second game. I thought that uh, De Los Santos was pitching pretty well. Uh, he comes in in a tough situation here. I believe he comes in with the bases loaded uh, into this fifth inning here. And uh, yeah, let's see how that fifth inning went down. Buxton single, Correa walks. He gets Garlic to strike out, but then walks Luis Arise. So, yeah, the bases are loaded. Here comes De Los Santos. He gets a ground ball that should have been a double play. But it's just, maybe it's just hit a little slow. Maybe the turn's just a little slow. Maybe Polanco's just a good base runner. And he legs it out, and he's safe at first. So a run does come in that's credited to Counter Pilkington, right? It's an inherited runner that comes in to score. But then De Los Santos would uh, strike out Giovanni Urshela, would frankly blow Giovanni Urshela away, uh, getting him to chase sliders down. Then he stays out there uh, to pitch the sixth inning. He gives up a leadoff home run to Jose Miranda. So it's not a situation that De Los Santos is going to be going in a lot, but Pilkington uh, does not go deep enough in this game. So now Francona goes into his thing where he's like, okay, I'm going to push a reliever as far as I can push them, get as many innings out of them as I can to try to get to the end of this game. I really don't think that's De Los Santos' role on this team. De Los Santos should be a weapon who comes in, gets you out of the inning, deals with some right-handed hitters. Instead, he tries to go two innings here, and he ends up giving up a solo home run to Jose Miranda to kick off the inning. Jose Miranda would hit that home run on the second pitch he saw from De Los Santos. The first pitch is a slider that he misses in with. And for some reason, he stays at the top of the zone. And he goes four-seam fastball right down the middle at the letters. And he turns on it. Man, the Twins were going up and getting some home runs on the day. Hits this thing 103.7 miles per hour from the top of the strike zone. 398 feet for the solo home run. 
that would be the one bad pitch De Los Santos would throw on the day. He would get Jeffers to ground out. He would get Celestino to ground out. And then facing Byron Buxton kind of blows him away on three pitches here. Uh, drops a slider uh, in the zone for called strike one. Gets him on an inside fastball to follow it off. It comes back and paints the outside edge. Yeah, it's a little bit off. It's just off the black. But Buxton down in an 0-2 count probably should be protecting against that pitch. Paints the outside edge for a called strike three. So I thought De Los Santos, frankly, it was a he was pretty good. He was trying to push him to two innings. He gets the two innings out of him technically, but he does give up the solo home run in there. Uh, so yeah, so it's not a glowing stat line for De Los Santos, but I thought he actually was pretty effective. He should have been out of that inning with that double play. Uh, and then he would have started things off against Urshela and not, uh, and not Miranda and who knows what would have happened. Uh, so yeah, uh, Ghost comes in, Trevor Steffen after that, and then Castro two walks in that ninth inning. He, and two hits, he gives up another run. Yeah. Castro is not been very good lately. Uh, he's bounced back and forth between the minors and the majors. We've been running through uh, minor league arms, and I get, yeah, we're playing a lot of games. Someone responded to me on Twitter like, yeah, we're playing this ton of games, so of course they're running through minor league arms, but they're not just bringing these guys up and down. They actually DFA'd a couple of guys. So just like we just lost Mercado on waivers, a DFA means any team can go claim these guys, and they're off the 40-man roster. So it looks like they're really clearing up spots on the 40-man roster. I, I feel like there are some things coming in the second half of this season. I feel like the Cleveland Guardians might look a little different in the second half of the season than they looked in the first half of the season. I guess that's probably not totally uncommon in baseball. But uh, I guess because we, you know, those of you who listen to this show, we obsess over it every day. So we're a little more tuned into how this team is changing and moving and DFAing a bunch of relievers that you had stashed in AAA uh, in on the 40-man roster. That's that's one way of clearing up room on the 40-man roster for some prospects that you really want to take a look at in the second half. So yeah, so uh, yeah, Castro is the latest in a guy to just churn up through the minor leagues, get blown up in the ninth inning. I mean, we'll see. We'll see if they make a move with Castro today or if he sticks around for a little bit. Uh, so yeah, it's a rough pitching day for the Guardians. The Twins hitters were all over them. A bunch of guys on the day for the Twins. Buxton, Garlic, Arise, Polanco, Miranda, and Jeffers all have multi-hit games. Uh, Arise with a big triple, with a big RBI triple. Uh, and the Guardians just bring nothing offensively. Gonzalez was the only one on the day who brought anything offensively. All right. MVP on the day. Oof, this is a tough one. I mean, uh, I I got to go with Class A on this one. I mean, yes, yes, Rosario has the RBI, the big RBI hit in the eighth inning to put the Guardians up, but they pulled the infield in. They kind of gift, gifted wrapped it for him, right? That's a ground out in a, you know, if Baldelli plays that situation differently. And yes, Oscar Gonzalez with the two doubles, on the day is nice in the second game, but they don't turn in anything. I thought Class A was just so dominant in that ninth inning, and the Guardians made it so hard on him, dropping a strike three, booting a ground ball, uh, and he still was that dominant in the ninth inning. So Class A is my MVP on the day. 
All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. I don't want to obsess over this this second game anymore. It was a really crappy game. Uh, and we gotta we still have a chance to turn this series around. It's still it's a ridiculous five-game series. It's two to one in the twins' favor. We could come out and technically win the next two and uh and actually walk away with a three-two series win, which is just ridiculous. We got Quantrill going tonight against Bundy. Both of them are 4-4 four and four on the season. And then in some day game on Thursday, it's Bieber going against Archer. So, yeah, we can still win this one behind Quantrill and Bieber. We can still somehow pull this series out in our favor. But I got to be honest with you. Somebody's got to make a speech in that clubhouse because they look just, just dead. And they did get a little bit of momentum going in that eighth inning. There was a little bit of excitement when Quan and Straw got on base and Rosario delivered that hit, but it was so quickly snuffed out with the strikeout, throw him out, stealing, and strikeout. It was, the momentum was so quickly evaporated. Uh, and Class A was fired up to get that save in the ninth inning, but we need more than this. We, we need someone to make a speech in the clubhouse today. We need someone to kick this, these guys' butts, get them going in gear. We need to put together some hits. This team is built not on the home run ball. Other teams get away with the home run ball. This team is built on rallies. We need to start stealing some bases, putting pressure on pitchers, staying out of double plays, frankly. Uh, We need to start putting pressure on these opposing pitchers. We need to start finding those rallies and building on each other's momentum. That's what this offense was so good at early in the season and what they've been so bad at after the last week. They were so good at it on their road trip, and now back home, they're just laying an egg. So yeah, someone needs to stand up and make a speech in that clubhouse today and get these guys fired up to beat the Minnesota Twins. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. I know it's a lot to cover a doubleheader, so there might have been things that you noticed in the game. I know there was a great relay throw from Oscar Gonzalez where they nailed someone at second base. Like There were moments like that that normally we would discuss if it was just a single game. There's just so much to talk about in a doubleheader. So there's plenty of storylines that we probably didn't get to. But I appreciate you sticking with me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Progressive Field. Game 1, Guardians 3, Twins 2. Game 2, Twins 6, Guardians nothing. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>